Travel back in time to the 80s, reliving the advice. Carpe diem. Seize the day. The comebacks. Why don't you take a picture? It'll last longer. <laughs> and the technology. Are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? Because just like you, we're stuck in the 80s. Can you say stuck in the 80s? Welcome to Stuck in the 80. It's Beersy here. And Brad in LA most of the time. And today we look back at Duran Duran's Rio album and talk to music writer Annie Zaleski, who has a new book out on the classic record. I mean, it doesn't just feel out there. I mean, it feels out there. You know what else would be really out there? You becoming a patron of us. That's because Stuck in the 80s is now listener supported through Patreon. Get swag, happy hour invites, and glorious amounts of sucking up from me and Spearsy by joining us at patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Have I told you how good you look in that shirt? Oh, your clothes. Give them to me now. 80s Nation, it's your old pal Spearsy. Why, why do I sound so happy today? Drugs. Oh, that's right. It's because I had that long awaited chat with music writer Annie Zaleski, who just released her latest book on the 33 and a third label. It's titled just simply Duran Duran Rio. Now, if you read a lot of music journalism, you've read Annie's work. She's written for Salon, Rolling Stone, Billboard, LA Times, NPR Music, AV Club, you name it. You two sounded like old friends. You were getting along famously. Well, we have some mutual friends for sure, uh, but this is the first time we've chatted live. We talk about her new book, how she first got into the band. She's younger than us, Brad. So, what? <laughs> but she still loves the 80s. I love it. I love it. She'll talk about the surprises she learned along the way while researching the book. And she'll talk about her thoughts about the band's new single, Invisible. Speaking of 33 and a third, this is a really cool series of books. I don't know if you, if you gentle listeners are familiar with it, but the, they're small, little, they tend to be small form factor books, but they go on a very deep, deep, deep dive on a specific album. And the, the writers will go you know, talk to anybody who had anything to do with it and just glean all this information. I was surprised, the one or two that I've read, was surprised at how much I didn't know that they were able to unearth about my favorite records. So it's it's worth a look. I apologize in advance for the noise behind me. I don't know if it's being picked up on the mic or not. I'm, I'm in New York today, and it sounds like the Pillsbury uh, Doughboy is two blocks behind me and taking down uh, a building right now as we speak. Construction goes late in the Big Apple. Oh my God! It's just—it's never ending here. You're actually in New York too. Yeah, that's why. I, that's why I didn't just say Brad in LA. I am in New York <laughs> on business this week. Here's what's really weird. Brad and I are probably four miles away from each other right now. I would guess, maybe, yeah. give or take. And we're still recording the podcast remotely. <laughs> we have issues. We have issues, but uh, we're going to set those aside. And we want you to just sit back and enjoy this fun conversation about Duran Duran with music writer Annie Zaleski. Those words are all in the heart to find. 
Annie. How are you? Hey, how are you? Good. Sorry, I was playing uh, Duran Duran. I was trying yeah. to remember. I was trying to remember why I, I liked um, Seven and the Ragged Tiger so much, and so I was going through it, and <clears throat> then I remembered it's because of the song uh, "The Seventh Stranger." So I love that song so much. It's so good. Yeah, I just um, I don't know if you saw, but our uh, one of our college stations here is doing a Duran Duran marathon on Thursday. 18 hours of Duran Duran. So I know the guy put it together. So I'm like, let me curate an hour. So I basically I over an hour. So I basically curated a list and that's on there. Oh, my God. Like, oh, I would love to see that list. What, what, what are some of the more unusual picks? Um, I, You know, Secret October, which I think is a favorite of, you know, B-side. It's a favorite. Um, let me pull it up here. I actually have a couple songs from Bedazzaland um, because I love Bedazzaland. Um, I'm a big fan so I have a couple songs from there. I have Hold Me from Notorious. That's one of my favorite, for whatever reason, that's been a favorite of mine for decades now. I love yeah. that song. So I have that one. So that's some, I guess, some of the weirder ones. Maybe I tried to do a little bit like, you know, not necessarily like the hits per se. So I put together a list that like flows together as a, uh, as kind of a playlist. And then also like with, you know, has a little bit of diversity. After we did an interview one year with Andy, after his book came out, we talked to him and I think we were on the phone with him for an hour and we, cur- we curated a list for the pot for the podcast of some of the better songs of the non 80s years. I remember falling in love with songs like uh, My Antarctica all over again yes. and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, there's so I mean, you know, obviously there's just so much in our catalog in terms of, um, you know, that you can kind of dig into. That's been one of the nicest things actually doing press for the book is that I've really, you know, delved into like things I hadn't listened to in a while. It's been it's been really gratifying. What's what's been strange for me is is listening to Rio again after reading your book, because now I hear things that I didn't hear before. Excellent. Interesting. Like the, like the beginning of Rio and how you, how, how, what, what they were, I, for, I forget what the weird sound effect they, they do at the very beginning. And didn't they play something backwards after they hit it on the. He, so they drop like rods on, yeah. a, piano on a piano, and then like flip the tape over and yeah. And did it backwards. And yeah. you're right. Like when you when you're like, okay, that's how it came together. And then when you hear the song, you're like, Oh, of course. But it's so, you know, it's one of those things I think for Rio, especially you take it for granted because right. it's probably a song that, you know, you've taught her a million times. Right. But you never, yeah. but you hear it, you hear every song differently after reading exactly. the book. So, so I guess on that note, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, I Thank hear you. this, I hear this is an idea that you had or that you first pitched back in 2007. That's correct. And it's funny. I, you know, I, for years and years and years, I've been, you know, talking, Oh, I want to do this book. I want to do this book. And the funny thing is, is that I have all of these people I've known for a while. They're like, yeah, you've been, you told me about that. So apparently I've told a lot of people like back that I wanted to do this, but I, I was digging in an old email address. I don't use anymore. And I found my pitch from 2007. Cause I knew I pitched it in 2009. Cause I left, I, uh, I met my husband around that time. And by the, when he met, he was like, yeah, when we first met, you just kept talking about pitching this book. <laughs> so, but I was like, wow, I did it again. So yeah, I've wanted to write this book for a very long time. How, how old were you or what, what was your entry point into Duran Duran growing up? So my entry point first was kind of the wedding album. Um, I really started getting into, I mean, obviously I liked music in the eighties. Um, but then, you know, I really started, you know, started watching MTV pretty heavily and listening to the radio pretty heavily. I grew up in Cleveland and we had a really, really great alternative rock station that came in 
I think it I think it was 92 or 93 that it started. And so um, they, but they, they played a ton of Duran Duran. And so we had all of the wedding album singles, you know, including too much information, which got a lot of airplay in Cleveland, I believe. And so that was sort of my entry point. But at the same time, you know, all of those stations were doing flashback lunches and retro lunches and retro weekends and things like that. So Duran Duran, of course, was part of that. And so, you know, it was kind of interesting because I think I came to both eras of the band at around the same time, more or less. That's interesting because, I mean, in my entry point is probably Seven and the Ragged Tiger. I, I mean, because I don't like like you point out in your book, they hadn't caught on really until 83. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. I mean, that's. What's so interesting is that when, when I actually sat down and researched and kind of, you know, triangulated different dates, it was like this, like really compressed, like 1983 was like the pivotal year for them. I mean, I think in America, especially because Rio finally caught on and then they had their debut finally caught on at the end of the year, seven and the ragged tiger caught on. And so it was just this, like everything all at once was sort of happening for the band with like many different eras. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, the start of the year, Hungry Like the Wolf, and by the end of the year, Union of the Snake was a hit. It was like, which, you know, sound pretty different. You know, you see how <laughs> fast their progression was at that point. It's um, it's strange because you, you think back to that time, or I think back to that time when I was in high school, and you think, wow, I was always a Duran Duran from the, fan from the start. And then you realize, no, you really weren't. <laughs> they, yeah, exactly. they, they were around long before you know, you saw them on MTV and you're, I mean, you may be one of the, one of the first million fans, but that's about it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really funny. Cause it's true. Like I got an email from somebody who was like, yeah, I've been a fan since the late seventies. And so like, you know, and I wasn't entirely, you know, he was like, yeah, you know, I think I saw them. And so I was like, wow. So you saw the, like the Birmingham era too. And so I'm, I'm like, I'm like who are, do, do I know you? Cause their, their email address had like, looked like it was sort of, you know, it was Duran Duran related, but I'm like, Hmm, but yeah, I mean, it's, and it's so funny to think that and they were popular in England. I mean, their first record took off in England. They were everywhere, you know, in England and Australia and in America, they were basically kind of a, you know, underground dance club hit and girls on film because it was so salacious that got them attention, but they were just sort of this like, you know, weird band that didn't fit in anywhere in what was going on in America at that point. It's it's also uh, interesting that one of their very first lead singers, I guess really before they became Duran Duran, was Andy Wickett. And he was the first person we ever interviewed on the Stuck in 80s podcast. Whoa. And that was back in 2005, maybe early 2006. And when I saw you reference him in the book, I thought, oh my God, she's really dug way deep. And then as I'm going through the the uh, notes at the end, which I don't normally do, but for, I was just so amazed by all the all the sources. And I got down to the S's and I couldn't believe that somehow you had uncovered like the blog item I had written about Andy. I think I had to go on the Internet Archive for that. Actually. You did. I, I would be afraid to go back and listen to that interview. I, it, it was one of the first that we did. And I remember feeling nauseous the night before. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, and gosh, when I when I started doing interviews, um, as a journalist, I was always so nervous. I still get nervous before every interview. So what led you to pick Rio? So as, as the album to profile in your book, what about that album in particular? I mean, you, you entered Duran Duran's orbit a lot later than that. You know, I mean, 
Rio was one of the records. I mean, when I first started getting back, getting into Duran Duran in the nineties, Rio was one of the records I reached to. Um, I, I found, I think I took Rio out of my public library on CD. Um, and, uh, because, uh, you know, cause I think I, for whatever reason, I remember the CD was hard to find or else because I was a kid, I didn't have a lot of money for like buying records. And so I, I taped it. And so that was a record I've always, always loved. And then I kind of found that it had a really good backstory. I mean, as you know, as we were kind of alluding to earlier, um, the record took a while to pick up in, in the U.S. Like it was definitely not um, an immediate hit. And so I'm like, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, there's a there, there's a good story potentially why um, it took off because finally, because Hungry Like the Wolf became a hit, but that took a while to take off. So I'm just like, that's very interesting. You know, that's kind of, you know, because now I think, you know, people are like, oh, Duran Duran, they're so popular. They've sold millions of records, but it didn't happen right away. Um, so I thought always that was really interesting. And I just, the, the record itself musically is just so rich. I mean, obviously everyone knows the singles and everyone knows the, you know, the hits, but every song on the record is good. Every song on the record could have been a single. And so I just knew, and, you know, and then it's held up so well too. It's one of those records that over the years, I'd listen to and new things would kind of pop out. And as I, you know, grew up, I related to it in different ways. And so I'm like, you know what, this is kind of one of those totemic records that just really, uh, you know, is really a touchstone of the eighties. And so, I mean, that's, those are kind of the main reasons, but oh, there's so many, I just, you know, and the artwork, how did I forget the artwork and the music <laughs> videos? But there's so many things. <laughs> you make, you make one point very strongly in the book. And that is that the band's idea up front was to combine the sounds of chic and the sex pistols or more generally combining glam rock, punk rock and disco. And I think to me, Rio is the one album that they've ever done that shows that sound idea, like straight up front. That's really interesting. I think I, I would kind of agree with that. And I think, you know, the first record, I was, which I was actually listening to some bootleg before we got on zoom here from kind of the first album, but you know, just, it was, you know, from, from like their like European tours from like early 81. And it was really interesting hearing and how quickly they kind of evolved from that. But yeah, I mean, you know, obviously I think they really nailed the the dance version, the, the chic kind of version of everything really pretty early on. You know, they loved, uh, you know, the, the extended remixes and, you know, when you listen to back now, you're like, yeah, they were a real shit hot live band, part of my French. Um, but the, the Sex Pistols thing in terms of we're just going to do things our way, we're going to kind of rip up the playbook, we're going to, you know, basically do whatever we want and kind of take what had been done before and piece it all together into something new. They did that on Rio. And that very, very, very much comes out. And I think that came out more when I, you know, as I was listening to it and putting the book together, for sure. How long does it take to do? I mean, once once you kind of had the green light to, to research the book, and write it and and did everyone that you approached cooperate eagerly on, on the project? So I'm trying to think. So I found out I, I proposed the book in like fall 2018. And I found out in very early 2019 um, that it was taken. And then I think the proposal went public in like March or something like that. Um, you know, and so I mean the first thing, you know, once the news came out there, I think my my first basically email call was to the band. Um, you know, I wanted to see and, and hope and say, Hey, I would love to, you know, interview you guys for it. You know, obviously they've talked about Rio so much over the years. Um, but I wanted to kind of try to get some fresh interviews with some fresh perspective and yeah, they were, they were completely down. I was, you know, I was really, really 
gratified by that, especially um, because, you know, they don't have to do that. I mean, you know, they're such a forward thinking band and they're a band that's always kind of moving forward and, you know, asking someone, hey, can you talk about a record you made nearly 40 years ago? You know, can I can completely see how that would get tiresome. And so I was really, really gratified that they agreed to talk. Um, so I talked to John, Roger and Nick. And then, um, you know, I just started kind of reaching out to people elsewhere. You know, I, I wanted to talk to Malcolm Garrett, the graphic designer who worked so closely with Duran Duran early in their career, especially on Rio. Um, I talked to Andy Earl, who did the photo, the iconic photo in the Rio liner notes. And I talked to Andy Hamilton, who did the sax solo on Rio. I mean, you know, and so, and honestly, uh, everyone was completely down. It was, it was very, you know, because you never expect that, you know, as a journalist, you always reach out to people. I mean, there were some people I tried to get in touch with. I couldn't like, you know, I, I wanted to talk to Anthony Price, you know, because obviously those suits are just so. Sure, yeah amazing. And I tried to, you know, I did some Googling and tried some email addresses and I didn't end up being able to, you know, I, I sent a couple of messages and didn't end up, you know, maybe I had the wrong email, who knows, you know, but you know, things like that. But for the most part, a lot of people I approached said, yes. I mean, I think I did over 50 interviews for the book and I think, I think about 40, over 40 ended up in there. And so, I mean, which is amazing. I think that's a real testament to uh, you know, how special this record is and how much it meant to so many people too. What, what things did you find during those interviews that really blew your mind? Oh man, so many things. Um, it was really gratifying. So Andy Earl kind of explained how he got the photo of the band. And oh, I mean, yeah. I think that was, which like, you know, he was this, I mean, I mean, he, so he did the, if, if people know he did one of Duran Duran's earlier photo shoots, if any of the photos you see of them near kind of like fake palm trees where they're kind of looking um, kind of space age, like in a mall, like that was, that was him. And so he kind of returned basically for the Rio shoot. They went on top of a building and he had to deal with lights going on and off and it was cold. And so he kind of put together all these photos together. So just hearing kind of how, I mean, I, I, as I love hearing stuff like that anyway, I love hearing how, you know, different creative things came together. And so that was really cool to hear kind of how that happened. Um, I really love talking to Malcolm Garrett, who is just a complete genius in terms of how he approaches graphic design. You know, he also worked with Buzzcocks and Magazine. It was just really instrumental in kind of putting together the look and aesthetic of so many of the, the British bands of the late 70s and early 80s. And just hearing what he did with Duran Duran, too, was just really, really mind blowing. Um, you know, he really understood what the band was going for and then how he kind of put together the Rio sleeve and modeling after a cigar box and how he was just thinking in that was just, you know, because it was really cool. I mean, I've seen, you know, looked at that photo for, you know, years and I, I see it in a completely new way now. And, you know, and that was kind of a common theme, I think, in general, you know, I'm talking to the band members too. you know, Nick saying that the Rio stack solo was planned and just hearing about, you know, how meticulous everyone was and, you know, and how they just didn't stop, you know, they just really were so driven creatively at that point and all that went into it. And so that was, that was really cool um, hearing all that stuff too. I thought it was interesting where you had this story about Andy Hamilton, the sax player, where he kind of went off on his own one time while he was playing his solo and the band got mad at him because it's yeah. like, <laughs> play, play it the way we wrote it, play it the way we yeah. recorded it the first time. And I should say, he said it very laughingly. He was, it was very affable. He wasn't like, Oh, they were so angry at me, you know, but he, you know, he was like, okay, this is how they want us to do it. You know? And so, uh, yeah, because it's, you know, you think about it. I mean, anyone, you know, you, 
you hear Rio so many times. It's such a, it's one of those iconic sax solos and that, you know, you hear, you see live bootlegs of the band too. And, you know, he played with the band, he toured with them. And so like, you know, he's doing the solo and you don't think that, oh yeah, it's the same every time or pretty close to the same. That's by design. You know, you don't even think about that, you know, cause I think some bands, you know, are like, you know, yeah, I go for it. You know, they'll have people kind of improvise. And, you know, there was, that was, but that was such an integral part of the song. And that really speaks to just how, you know, meticulous and well thought out Rio was and, you know, and how Duran Duran was very meticulous as well um, as musicians around that time. In, in 2010, All You Need Is Now came out and all the buzz about that album at the time was, this is, this is the, the next, this is the sequel to Rio is what I kept hearing over and over yeah. again by people. Did do you agree with that assessment? You know, I, it's funny because I, because the record just turned like 11 and so, yeah. Yeah, or 11. and so I, I like, I, I was like, you know what, I'm going to revisit this and, and see, test out that theory. And, you know, in many ways, I, I, I don't think I, it, I can see both sides of the coin. Um, for starters, I think it definitely is more stripped down. It's, it's very stripped down in a way that Rio is, you know, when you listen to Rio, you know, there's not, you know, some of the Duran Duran records that they came after that were very, very dense and layered and things like that. And Rio is definitely, everybody's kind of playing their part. And there's some like cool little, you know, different things overdubbed here and there, but it's a pretty straightforward record. And I think all you need is now in that sense is, I think it's also very compact. You know, they definitely kind of took this, the, the poppier spirit of Rio, or at least, you know, Rio's poppier sides and kind of grafted that to that. And the lyrical callbacks too, I think, you know, the man who stole a leopard, you know, right. was the pair to the chauffeur. And so I think it's very subtle, you know, but I think the thing that really struck me in doing this book and then really kind of surveying Duran Duran's entire catalog is they've never made the same record twice. Every, every record has been something different, you know, some of them have been more successful than others, but they've always been trying to push themselves forward. I mean, I think working with Mark Ronson, who was such a fan of the band, you know, he on All You Need Is Now, he was so good about, you know, kind of drawing things out of the band, maybe they, you know, different sounds and things like that. And so it's it's pretty close, but I think, you know, it's still like, wow, this sounds like Duran Duran in the year 2010. And so I think it sounds very contemporary too, which is a really, really kind of good balance. What effect do you think um, Andy Taylor's departure had on the band and their sound? I mean, I think if you look at All You Need Is Now and you, and you listen to Rio, the one thing you're missing is an Andy Taylor guitar, you know, con- contribution. I mean, do you, his departure, I mean, did that spin the band off in a different direction, you think? I mean, I think when you, when any band has a lineup change, I think there are going to be differences. Um, and, you know, in Duran Duran, obviously when, uh, when Andy left, you know, Warren Cucurillo was in the band for a while. And, you know, when you listen, you know, I was listening to their catalog with guitar in mind. I'm like, yeah, Warren was such a rocker. I mean, he had Missing Persons and Frank Zappa. And so he even brought kind of different influences than Andy. I think what's really interesting is all the guitarists that Duran Duran have worked with have brought something different to the table. I mean, Andy was, you know, was basically, you know, a rocker who had been on tour in the 70s. You know, he loved all the classic guitarists, you know, Keith Richards and Jeff Beck and things like that. And so he was definitely, and he had a much more, and I think they even say in the book, the band members were like, you know, he had definitely songwriting and playing skills that we didn't have at that point. Um, You know, when Warren was different, Warren was definitely kind of like the definite swaggering rock star type. But, you know, they work with Don Brown, though, on All You Need Is Now, who is a really fantastic guitarist. He is just he's just a different player. He's a kind of a more 
I guess, thoughtful player, kind of deliberate player. And he's definitely, um, you know, studied in that sense. You know, I think he's been doing a bunch of shows as well and kind of influenced by Pink Floyd, maybe a little bit more atmospheric. And so I think it's just different. You know, I think that he's kind of helped at that point in, in Duran Duran's career. He really kind of helped push them forward. I mean, to me, he seems like the best guitarist for that album, you know, just because he really kind of, you know, preserves sort of the, you know, rock element that they've always kind of had, but also kind of pushed it in a more nuanced direction, maybe, um, you know, just because like his dad was in music and stuff too. When they reunited with the original lineup, what was it 2006 or 2000? It was earlier than that. Like they, yeah. it was, 1999 early early 2000s then they kind of the the tour kind of rolled out over the world i think in the first like half the decade yeah what was your thought when that happened did you think okay andy's back they've you know they see that they have a winning formula here this is going to stick around for a while or did you kind of see that as a okay this is sort of a almost a guest appearance of sorts you know it's funny i i saw them do I saw them twice on the reunion tour and I don't think it really, it registered that he was back, but I don't remember having any like, you know, deep thoughts about that. I think at the time, I think I was just really, I hadn't been able to see Duran Duran for like a half decade because they didn't come. I was living in Boston and they, you know, they didn't come to where I I could get to the show. So honestly, I was just really happy. I was able to see them. Um, You know, it didn't really kind of strike me until later, like, wow, that's pretty amazing. I got to see kind of the reunion. And I think that was just more, you know, where I was, I, the reunion tour happened when I was kind of switching jobs and moving and things like that. So I think I was, I was a little harried that year, um, but I saw them at least, but so it didn't really, I didn't really have any deep thoughts on it. It was only in hindsight where I was like, wow, that's really cool. Like, I'm really glad that they were able to kind of have that reunion and really and make the record and tour together. Cause it was just, you could tell that the joy they were having on stage at that point, especially too, when I was, when you kind of go back and look at kind of the, the bootlegs and the video bootlegs that have kind of come out with that. It was, it was neat. It was, it, all the stars kind of aligned at that point. I have the DVD of that tour and I've probably watched it so many times that even my DVD player is getting a little tired of it. <laughs> I, I'm hoping they'll tour now that they have a new album coming out. So I have to ask you, what do you think of the new single invisible? I really like the single, honestly, you know, I mean, I, I, we were, we were like out and about and the snippet came and I was just like, that sounds really cool. And it, it immediately stuck in my head. I'm like, well, okay, that's a really good sign. Um, because like, you never know what that stuff, you know, like in terms of, you know, you hear a snippet of a single and that doesn't really tell you much. So I was like, all right, cool. You know, so it came out and then I heard the entire song. I was like, wow. I mean, I should say that I'm a huge Blur fan. Like in the nineties, I love Blur. And so that there, that Graham Coxon from Blur is on the record. It's just such a thrill to me because he's such a, he's such an, he's, see, he's another, he's another really interesting guitar player that brings different influences. You know, I think he's influenced by Wire and Pavement and all sorts of different bands, depending on kind of what project he's working on. Um, but I, I like it. it. It harkens back to me kind of the late, later 80s records, you know, like Notorious and Big Thing. But it really has kind of a contemporary sort of arrangement and sort of a contemporary sheen to it but but in a way that sounds natural you know i think a lot of times when bands are trying to you know veteran bands are trying to sound modern or contemporary it just doesn't come across very well you know you're just like oh you're trying too hard but this this sounds completely natural it sounds like a logical progression from paper gods and just really i think worked out pretty well
it the most Duran Duran thing ever that they had an AI bot named Huxley dream up the idea for the I video? Know. I love it. I, you know, like the video is so creepy and so like disorienting, <laughs> but it's, per- it's perfect for the song. But I was just like, man, I love that. You know, they're always forward thinking. They're always trying to, you know, push things forward and try new things. And, you know, so it's so very in character. So, yeah, no, I, I love that. They would they would never say, hey, let's go back to Sri Lanka and, re- and do another video with the elephants. And right, exactly. <laughs> they just would never do that. No, you know, they're always moving forward. They're always like, let's let's keep trying something new. I mean, that's when you when you when you talk about like artists and creatives like they that's them to a T, you know, that's their kind of their that's kind of their I think their their punk roots coming in too. you know, as, as punks, you know, I think they were railing against nostalgia. That's what original punk rock was. And they're like, yeah, no, we're going to we're going to keep moving forward and ripping things up and kind of push ourselves forward. Here's a million dollar question for you. I'm sure you've been asked this before. Uh-huh. Why hasn't Duran Duran been nominated for the Rock Hall of Fame? I knew you were going to ask me that. I have. Been, I think that I think is the question that I've been asked the most in this press cycle. I'm not kidding. Um, uh, you know, I, I I think part of it is that there's and I, I know I touch on this in the book, but they there's there was there's always they've always had that stigma. A lot of people thought, oh, they're just a boy band, or oh, they're just a prefab pop band. You know, people, you know, or they're just they're just a video band. You know, that was the big kind of that's how they were billed, you know, on so many articles in like 1984. And when they toured America was, oh, the video band Duran Duran. And so people just thought that they didn't have any substance. And I think a lot of it is that, you know, and I think a lot of it is that they their fan base. There were a lot of teen girls who like them. And, you know, and, and there are fewer like, uh, you know, people and classes of people who have their tastes maligned more than teen girls. You know, so I think a lot of people were just skeptical. And so I think that has a lot to do with it, um, which is unfair. I mean, uh, you know, when you talk about uh, influence, when you talk about impact, when you talk about, you know, just quality of catalog, Duran Duran absolutely belongs in the Rock Hall, like 100, 1000 um, percent. And I've, I've heard a lot more chatter recently, I think, in the recent years about that. So cross fingers, hopefully. Everyone will uh, will come around to everyone's way of thinking and say, no, Duran Duran need to be in there. So what big project are you working on next? So I'm working on, um, I'm currently in the midst actually of a book on the B-52s for University of Texas Press. So just kind of looking at their cultural impact and their sort of career and things like that. So that's that's kind of the biggest thing and just continuing to promote uh, the Rio book because it's, it's coming out in, it, the, the release date in England and Australia is a little bit delayed um, it's July 1st. So I'm doing some press for that too. And just, you know, going on podcasts and just, you know, talking about Duran Duran. It's, it's, it's not bad. There are, there are worse things you could, you could have to talk about. So there's a traditional question I always like to end um, an interview with, and hopefully it won't uh, stump you too much. We, we like to think that here at Stuck in the 80s, we have a podcast time machine and that we can offer you a seat on the time machine and you can use it to go back to one event or one period in time and either fix something you did wrong or relive an event or however you choose to use it. How would you choose to use your podcast time machine seat? Man, can I, can I use the podcast to go to something I didn't do? Yes, absolutely. See, I, I wish I had a time machine so I could go back and see Duran Duran in 1984 in America because listening to the, the bootlegs and, you know, like a Madison Square Garden, the energy and the excitement that's there is just, it, it's like you get even like streaming something on YouTube, 
just the goosebumps are there. Like there's just so much energy and so much excitement. And, you know, like I said, I've seen the band a bunch of times. I've seen a ton of times and every time it's joyous and exuberant, but there was just something about that time period that, uh, that I'm just like, I would, I would love to do that. If I could, if I could hop in my time machine, that's, that's what I would choose. As, as you're telling me that story, I'm sitting here staring at my copy of uh, Sing Blue Silver, the DVD, the tour documentary of 1984. I, I'm looking at Cross Mine too. I have it. I'm in my husband's music room, but I'm looking at a copy as well. Yeah. Um, I had tickets to go see that with my girlfriend at the time. And my mom vetoed it at the last minute because she didn't care for my girlfriend who smoked. What? That is not cool, mom. So I think I might use my time machine to go back and let you tell my mom that because <laughs> I still feel like I was robbed big time on that one. I'd be happy to. I, I would be very persuasive. I would be <laughs> like, mom, like you have to do this. Like, absolutely. That's so sad. You have one of the best answers I've ever heard. So. Well, good. Excellent. Hey, Annie, thanks for doing this. This, is, this has been an interview I've really been looking forward to. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate uh, you having me on. This has been fun. Thank you. That's our interview with Annie Zaleski. It was a fun time. I we we chatted for a great deal after we stopped recording. She's a really exceptional writer, and I really enjoyed the book. I, I ripped through it in like a day and a half. Like I said, they're they are fun to read because you're like learning something about your favorite albums. The, the key is though, read the book and then go and listen to the album again. You're, it's like you're listening to it for the first time. You hear things that you didn't hear before, huh? So especially with Rio, really impressed that she did more than 50 interviews for the book. Crazy that it's an idea that she first thought about back in 2007. And and ultimately, she's right. Duran Duran is a band that's always moving forward and never making the same album twice. They're a musical shark, Steve. They got to keep moving. Or they did. <laughs> you know what else needs to keep moving? The, the Seggies. Prepare to qualify. Ah, the somewhat ah that <laughs> you can always just go with my my fallback tuneful stylings. Ah, the tuneful stylings of stuck in the arcade. It's our brand new Segi here at Stuck in the 80s. We will play a snippet of an arcade sound from the 80s. If you get it right, you're entered into the drawing for a say it with me, people. Postal friendly bottle opener. I don't care what, what state I'm recording in. That just comes out smooth every time. <laughs> we really are like five miles apart. We could have done this in person. Yeah, you know, I have to walk over there, take the subway or yeah. get a cab. I don't take know, the queue. And I know for a fact that so tomorrow, which will be like five days previously, by the time you guys listen to this, I'm, I'm me and future wife are, are going to Times square to, to visit Brad. And, uh, uh, we'll be taking the Q train. So yeah. So wait a minute. That means we did build a podcast time machine because you're listening to this and we're describing something that is yet to happen. But by the time you hear it, it will have happened. Right. That's heavy, Doc. If at the end of the podcast a telegram shows up, I don't really pay the man. <laughs> just pay the man. And it exactly. starts raining, and we're stuck in 1887. Just leave us there, okay? 
That's the weird thing about uh, the weather here versus Florida. I mean, in New York, it'll rain all day. In Florida, it rains for like an hour and then it stops or a half hour. I got rained on yesterday. I wasn't quite ready for it. I have to say I had to bust out the jacket in a big fat hurry. I don't even have a raincoat or an umbrella here. So I just, if it rains, I'm just like, well, I'll just order delivery. We came up here because I, I was heading to New England to see, to meet the in-laws, the future in-laws. I hadn't met, ah. I'd met her mom's side of the family, but I hadn't met the other side of the family. So okay. we went to Maine. We saw Jen with one N. That was fun. Nice. We had lobster rolls and fried clam strips with her. Mm. I hear lobster rolls are kind of spendy right now that there's a lo- bit of a shortage. Yeah, they were. But the fun thing was, and I say this with all sarcasm, they rented an entertainer for this party. It was a modest little party, you know, maybe 20 of us outdoors, you uh-huh. know, because the temperature is about 65 degrees in Maine. Oh, very pleasant. And so this guy gets up wearing a leather jacket and has a boom box. And his name is Paco. <laughs> and he's not, he's not Hispanic, but his name is Paco. And he proceeds huh. to sing all these um, hits from the 50s and 60s for two or three hours. It was, it was a very special afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, guy had a... <laughs> He he had a heart of gold. I'll just say that, but it was it was an interesting day in the sun. And I didn't realize ticks are a problem in Maine either. I don't I don't think I got yeah. bit by one, but that's but when Jen was describing the problem, I I, I got to admit I haven't stopped scratching. Start to get the willies, don't you? Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so that's uh, first trip to New England. I, I didn't even have a lobster roll. She, I mean, I just, I for me, that's like you know, I am with seafood. I'm kind of like, I don't, I don't really get it. I mean, I like seafood. You don't like, you don't like the ocean going spider type stuff. So lobsters and crabs, <laughs> you're just not down with it. I'm okay with it. It's just I mean, when you turn it into some the, other. I've heard the horrible things you said about crab cakes. Bologna sandwich of the sea. Yeah, <laughs> I stand I, by that. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with your opinion on that. <laughs> but that's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> Okay, we were here to do a segi. Um, That's right, we were. From way back in episode 600, here was the Mystery Arcade sound. That's from the game Phoenix, which I have no recollection of, which makes me want to punch uh, Brad and the Wolf Nards, but that's okay. Why? Just because you don't... Just because I knew it and you didn't. I mean, I, I picked this sound effect, so I just went to one of my old favorites. I don't what Tell me what, what happens in Phoenix. Uh, it's like your basic space shooter. You know, you've got, there's, a, there's a, a, a phase where you've got these eggs that are coming down on you. If you don't shoot them fast enough, they hatch in these big pterodactyls and they try and kill you. And then there's this like big massive thing that you have to kind of do. Like it's like a breakout kind of game where you have to shoot out the ship underneath it so that then you can get the boss before it comes down and kills you. It kind of alternates back and forth. So let me get this right. You like spaceship arcade games. You detest spaceship music videos. No, 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 no. I do not detest spaceship music videos. I think they're fun. And I'm making a list of them so that I can create my next podcast, Spaceship Videos of the 80s. Yeah. We actually got some suggestions via email on that. Did you notice that? We did. Yeah. That's fun. Uh, Anyway, we did have some winners who don't want to punch Brad and the Wolf Nards. I I don't know why I like saying that, though. It's just fun. 
I'm weird. I think I have uh, tick poisoning. I don't know. I, I've had far tick too much poisoning. <laughs> it was tick poisoning. It, it, it was? Yes. Yes. So poisoning. It was a weird four days. So uh, take a half breath and read the winners. Okay, here we go. Winners this week include Tom Corn in Austria, Buck from Wally World, Dallas in St. Joe, Missouri, James Crabtree in Indianapolis, Brian in San Francisco, Ron Rubick from the Kentucky Derby, I think that's what he meant by that, and East Coast Alex, who writes, yet another game I loved and sucked at. What game were you really good at? What was like was it was it Defender? Or no, it was, oh, no. It was Defender Joust. had way too many Defender had way too many buttons. No, the the only game I would say that I had an even modest skill at was uh, I was pretty good at Tempest, and I was pretty good at Galaga Three. Huh. Played a lot of Galaga Three. Oh my gosh! For those who don't know, we we have a Facebook page for the podcast. It's Facebook.com/slash Stuck in the Eighties Podcast, and I put a meme up there today about if you know, uh, hypothetically speaking, you win an arcade sweepstakes and you get to you get your pick of any arcade game from the Eighties to, to have the to have it bring home. home. Yeah, yeah, no, no quarters needed. What, what do you pick? And a lot of people picked Galaga and Batman. So, what would you pick? Um, I, I don't want to steal your answer. I think you should go first. I go back and forth between Tron, the stand-up version, which yeah. I know is sacrilege, but I, that's the version that I played. No, it is. Or there was another one called Zaxxon that I was really good. Oh, at. the isometric. Yeah, that's yeah. The isometric view. That's that's how I remember it. What a dork. I mean, Galaga is kind of like I, you can play Galaga, Galaga for yeah. for free in your computer. So it's like I, I don't, I don't yeah. need to. So so what would you pick? Do you remember the Star Trek arcade game mm. where you eh. would kind of warp around and like try and kill Klingons? Seven Klingons in this sector, and you'd zip over there and they'd <laughs> try and kill you, and you try and kill them. That was pretty fun. Um, and then there was a sit down cabinet, and there was a sit down version of a stand up one. There was a good version. There was a Star Wars game that was out for a while. Do you remember that one? You yeah, the vector along? graphics one. That was good yeah. too. Yeah. Shoot I the, can, I, can I have three? Let's go shoot the thing. Yeah. If you're not following us on Facebook, please do. I'm trying to be better now about asking these kind of um, fun little questions during the week. Somebody's answer today was none of them. I would just pick the most expensive one, sell it, buy a gun, and then go hunting. Okay. And I just wrote back saying, I think you're on the wrong page. <laughs> so that that was it so uh that's funny anyway speaking of on the wrong page total is it time is it time for me to spin the wheel yeah spin the wheel okay here we go oh that was unnecessary i disagree <laughs> okay it's gonna land on east coast alex you were this week's winner so uh email us your postal address and then go out there every single day and wait. Sit by the mailbox until the postal friendly bottle opener shows up. What's your take on you? Like you've been in New York for what? A, a couple of weeks now. What's, well, I was here last week and I'm back this week. So what's your favorite part about when you're in New York for an extended period of time? I just, I like walking around. I just like walking around. And the, the, the thing is right now, the city's still a little quiet. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, we're over on the Upper East Side, and it's pretty close to normal. It's coming back, but Did you... it's a little quiet. Well, and I mean, okay, yes, I'm staying right near Times Square, which is kind of a 
you know, bananagrams in the best of times. And it's not like the full on, well, full on Times Square experience. But I will say I did see Minnie Mouse with her head off smoking a cigarette the other day. So I think we're pretty close to normal. <laughs> the problem with where you are right now is that Broadway hasn't reopened yet. Right. So like my favorite pizza place is right around the corner here. They're like, we're not opening until Broadway starts back up again. Exactly. I need pizza. So because they announced today that in New York, they were, and I think in California, they were getting rid of all the COVID restrictions as long as Mm -hmm. you're fully vaccinated. Yeah. So where we are, if it seems kind of normal, like you can walk outside, you can walk the dog without your mask on, which is nice. Right. Yeah. If you're vaccinated. Yeah. So if you don't have, yeah. I've been having that same experience. Sorry, go ahead, Steve. The, the thing I just like the tap water. <laughs> That's a, where I where I live in Florida. We have the worst tap water. Oh yeah, it, it's like the stuff that like you just cooked a bunch of eggs and you're just draining the grease through the into the sink. <laughs> and and when you come up here, it's like it, it's like water cooler quality. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's yeah, pretty I good. just I my 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 water drinkage goes through the roof. Anyway, I'm sure people are really fascinated by this at home. Uh, so instead of this, instead of us continuing to blather on, pay attention. Here's this week's uh, mystery arcade sound. If you know it, email us at podcast at sid80s.com and tune in soon to find out if we're still up here in New York or if we're back home. We'll be right back after this commercial break. At the Video Palace, you'll find Duran Duran. The complete video album from planet Earth to Is There Something I Should Know? Two years of Duran Duran videos in a one-hour video cassette at the Video Palace in Kensington. Hey, we're back. Got a couple minutes left. Uh, Time to thank our new patron, uh, Michelle Foster, became a patron this week. Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, very generous. (laughs) We had a... One of the benefits of being a a patron is we do these monthly happy hours. You know, some people drink during them. Some people don't. And they, they last about an hour. And I think the last, the theme of the last happy hour was summer jobs. So people told their summer jobs of the 80s stories and it was fun, but somehow it just, it just got off into a bunch of Randy st- storytelling that we will, we will not discuss any further other than to say pictures were shared and, and promptly deleted. And uh, it's, it's hard to keep a group that big on task. Let's face it. And that's not really <laughs> what it's about. We're not there to quiz you. It's just, yeah. You know, need a little, need a little starter for the conversation. And then it kind of rolls on its own. Yeah. It was fun because um, Chase Squires, who you guys might remember, he was one of the hosts in the very, very early days. If he's on the call, it's always fun because he's right. always enjoying a drink or two. And Your basic, uh, <laughs> yeah. Your basic raconteur. <laughs> Yeah, so things can go in all different directions. We really enjoy it. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed the conversation with Annie Zaleski. Her book is out. You can find it on Amazon. You can get the Kindle version. That's what I had. And seriously, to check it out. It is a fun read, and it'll make you completely rethink what you know about Duran Duran and their Rio album. We'll be back in a couple of weeks. But in the meantime, Brad and I remain here, along with the boys of Duran Duran, hopelessly stuck in the 80s. Stuck in the 80s is now on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show, go to patreon.com slash stuck in the 80s podcast. Special thanks to Check Battery Daily for our theme music. And thanks for listening. Oh,